chapter 50, verses 4 through 11, but I'm going to read the entire chapter, Isaiah 50. And as we read through this chapter, note that in the first four verses, the Lord is indicting his people for their apostasy. And then in verse 4, we hear the Lord's servant speaking, whom the Lord is putting forward as the one who can save his people. And then in verse 10 and 11, we have the call of the prophet as to how we respond to this servant. Isaiah 50, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom, you, whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, my rebuke, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain him, sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment. In response to the proclamation of God's word, we will sing afterwards from the new psalm and hymn folder. The hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, found on page 87. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, today we are considering the third of the so-called servant songs found in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 42, the servant was introduced by, as one chosen by the Lord. The song in chapter 49 reveals more of the, the mission and the work of the Messiah in the world. Then in chapter 50, we see how Israel's sin, in verses 1 through 3, is contrasted with the servant's obedience in verses 
4 through 9. The first part of the chapter compares Israel's apostasy to an immoral and unfaithful wife, and God is the only one who can ransom her back. And so in verses 4 through 9, then, we see how the Lord enables and helps his chosen one, his servant, to be the one who will complete this task. And in doing so, the Lord God reveals his glory. That's the theme of the sermon. The glory of the Lord is revealed in the unwavering commitment of his servant. We'll see that the servant has a heart of obedience and is confident in the Lord's help. Notice, first of all, how it is the Lord God who enables his servant. He is Adonai Yahweh, the Lord God, the sovereign Lord. He is the covenant-keeping God. You read that the designation the Lord God four times in these verses. He is the God who again and again sent his servants, the prophets, to speak to his people, to warn his people, to confront them and to comfort them, to encourage them and speak of God's love and mercy. He is the God who puts his word in the mouths of his prophets so that they can speak to his people. And there is certainly a sense in which Isaiah and the other Old Testament prophets could speak the words of Isaiah 50 verses 4 and following about themselves. Think, for example, of how the Lord commissioned Isaiah. Isaiah, In Isaiah chapter 6, he reveals that he saw a vision. And in that vision, he saw how an angel took a burning coal from the altar and touched his lips with that coal. And he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Or consider how Jeremiah was commissioned. When the Lord appointed him as a prophet, he objected, saying, Ah, Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I am only a youth. But the Lord said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Men like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were given ears to hear and tongues to speak the word of the Lord. The Lord God enabled them. But they remained sinful men. They were not perfect disciples. Even a man like the Apostle Paul, who was commissioned directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus revealed his word to him directly. Paul, too, remained a sinful disciple. There is and has been only one perfect disciple of the Father in heaven, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate meaning of the words of our text. We don't read the word servant in verses 4 through 9. That comes out in in verse 10. But it's clear as you read this passage that it is the same person speaking who was speaking in chapter 42 and 49. And in verse 4 he speaks, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Now, in English it says those who are taught. In the Hebrew that's one word that actually means disciple. It means one who is trained, one who is learning and learning well. The servant of the Lord is a trained disciple. He is, he is skilled in God's word. He's a good student and a good disciple. He has a trained ear and a trained tongue. He knows how to understand the word of God and how to apply it and use it rightly. And who is the servant learning from? Well, he is learning from the Lord, from the Father And we might wonder how this applies to the Lord Jesus. Wasn't he divine? Didn't he know God's word perfectly? Now think of what we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. We read that Jesus as a child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 
And in that same chapter, we read Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So according to the Gospels, the Lord Jesus learned wisdom. In his humanity, Jesus learned the word of God already at an early age, like the other children around him. But he was a perfect student. And at an early age already, he far surpassed others in wisdom and knowledge. He sat in the temple at age 12, instructing the scribes and Pharisees. And we read in John chapter 7, the Jews marveled about him. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And he not only learned to listen to God's word, he also learned to apply it also to his own life. According to Hebrews 5 verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Of course, we know that Jesus was never obedient. But because he was a perfect disciple of his father, he learned perfect obedience and he learned obedience perfectly. As he grew in wisdom, he grew in obedience. He continued to obey all of God's law. And he lived the life that we should have lived. He lived the life of perfect righteousness. And as he grew older, he began to understand more and more of what his task was. And so he learned God's word perfectly. And he was also able to apply it perfectly. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Verse 4b. The words, congregation, that Jesus speaks are words of life. His words are light and life to sinners like you and I. Sinners who have no peace with God unless it's given to us. His words take away the burden of our sin. He says, come to me, all you who are burdened. Believe in me and I will give you rest for your souls. No one but Jesus can do this for us. We could spend a lot more time on this part of the text, but... I want to focus mostly on the last part. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Notice how the servant of the Lord is, is fully committed to obeying the Lord, doing the will of the Lord. We know, when we think of the Lord Jesus, we know that he was one who obeyed God perfectly. And that's a profound truth. That's not something that we should pass over very quickly. It's vital to the gospel. This is part of God's salvation for you. Yes, Jesus' death on the cross is his atoning sacrifice for your sins. Every weakness, every lack on our part, every small transgression, everything is punishable. But by faith in him, we are justified before God on account of that sacrifice. But there is more to what he did. His active obedience is yours too. When he paid for your sins, you were justified, but through his obedience, you are made holy. We must not only be justified, we must be sanctified. And there's no way that you and I can obey the the gospel, the law, sufficiently in order to be sanctified, in order to get into heaven. Somebody else needs to do that for us. And that's so essential also for the day-to-day application of, of the gospel In our own lives. Jesus died for my sins. But he also obeyed his father in heaven perfectly for me. 
As disciples of Christ, we are often disappointed in ourselves. We know that we don't measure up. We, we don't fulfill the law the way we ought to. This can lead sometimes to a lack of joy, a lack of assurance, even a lack of desire for obedience. How do we defend ourselves against that? Well, by reminding ourselves that Jesus did all the performing that you cannot do. He has walked the path of life perfectly. And he did this for you and for me. So when I am in Christ, his righteousness is mine. His holiness is mine. When you are in Christ, no one can condemn you. He is your righteousness. He is your holiness and your sanctification. For when, when you're, so when you're not living up to the law, Jesus already did it for you. Does that mean that we can just hang back and relax, as Paul says? Shall we sin so that grace may abound? No. And why not? Because that's not what a true disciple does. A disciple of Christ is not unaffected by the gift of righteousness and sanctification. A, di- a disciple doesn't uh, try to pay it back either. Try to, try to pay for that gift. But a disciple seeks to follow in the footsteps of the one who gave him this gift. Who did it on our behalf. And Jesus exemplifies this in his own life. When he was baptized, he said, I am doing this to fulfill all righteousness. You know, John the Baptist said, you know, you, you shouldn't be baptized. Instead, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no, I have to do this. To fulfill all righteousness. I need to do this because this is the life that needs to be lived. And he did it perfectly for us. And so our obedience to the Lord is not in order to be saved. But because we are saved. And when our performance of the law fails, and it does every day again. We have every reason to thank God for the salvation that he has obtained for us in Jesus Christ. Not that we're happy with our lack of performance. But we are thankful for Christ's performance. And thankfulness, congregation, thankfulness is what makes you free to obey. To obey God even more for the love that he has shown to you. Let's move to verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. When we read through these verses in Isaiah, then especially the words of verse 6, we, as we are familiar with Scripture, we understand as we read them through the lens of the New Testament, we know this happened to the Lord Jesus. And we honor him for it. But an Old Testament listener would have heard these words and wonder, why in the world would a servant of the Lord who is clearly innocent, why would he submit to anything like this, this humiliation, this utter humiliation? This is unjust. This is a terrible crime. But in fact, congregation, it was justice that brought Jesus to suffering and death. He took our sins on himself. And the justice of God was satisfied in Christ, in his suffering, in his sacrifice on the cross. So it was just that Christ died. He went through this even though he didn't deserve it. 
But he went through this because the sins of his people were placed on him. And therefore it was just. Isaiah even says in chapter 53, it pleased God to crush him. And while the men who hit him intended it for evil, God intended it for good. And so it was a sacrifice so pure and so holy that it was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. And yes, it was horrible. And yes, he was innocent. And yet, it is the most beautiful thing that a man has ever done for his fellow human beings. Every stripe he took, every fist that smashed him in the face, he did it for us. And he was unwavering in his mission. He set his face like flint. That means he was unwavering in his commitment. He steeled himself to complete the Lord's will. Luke records in chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. There was no hesitation in him, no wavering, no uncertainty, but a steadfast commitment to complete his task. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, to empty himself, to humble himself by becoming what? There you have that word obedient again. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not hide from anything that his father intended for him to do. And he fully trusted that his father would help him. The Lord God helps me. He's confident in the Lord's help. We read those words twice in our text. Repetition in the Hebrew Old Testament means this is important, so pay attention. And we'll get back to that in a few moments. But first, let's look at verses 8 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So here we have a courtroom scene. And in this courtroom, we see that the Lord's servant is innocent. No charge can be brought against him. We know that when Jesus stood before Herod and before the Sanhedrin, he did not utter a word. He didn't defend himself. He did not open his mouth before his accusers. But at the same time, we know that there was no charge brought against him. Pontius Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. No one could bring an accusation against this servant of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, the same can be said for you. If you are a born-again believer, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in Christ, then your sins are paid for. If you believe in him, God declares you to be not guilty before his judgment seat. In Christ you have been justified. In Christ you have been and you are being sanctified. In Christ you are being and are and are being glorified. So then if you are in Christ and on the day of judgment, no accusation can be brought against you. Because to bring an accusation against you would be to bring an accusation against Christ. And yes, the Bible says that every idle word that is spoken has to be accounted for. But when you are in Christ, those idle words are accounted for in the cross. 
When you are in Christ, then the day of judgment will be a day when Christ says, come and enter into my rest. And you will say, but I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. And Christ will say, come and join the heavenly feast. Because I did it for you. I have made you worthy. As Paul writes in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet we often accuse ourselves, don't we? When we know we have once again failed to love God and failed to love our neighbor as we should, then those, sh- those thoughts come, right? I should have done more. I should have done better. I, I am such a horrible disciple. I'm just a no good Christian. God must be so terribly displeased with me. How can I even pray to him? But the gospel says Jesus did it for you. And he did it all. And that's why he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean that your discipleship is not important? Does that mean that you don't work hard to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course we do. But it is a joy for a disciple to do that labor. And when work is a joy, then then we want to do more. The enemy wants us to find it a burden to follow Jesus. But the word of God tells us Jesus has made us free to serve him. And of course, the question is, well, then how are we going to do this? How are we to do this? And the answer, congregation, lies not in I can, but I need help. The answer lies in confessing the Lord God helps me. That's what the servant of the Lord said. And Jesus, who is the perfect disciple, taught us how to do this. Think of what we read in John chapter 15. I'll read Two verses from that chapter again, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. What a huge contrast. In him, we can bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So if you are in him, you will bear fruit. Even on your weakest days, the Holy Spirit still dwells in you. Even on your weakest days, there is fruit. The conviction of sin is fruit. To love the Lord God is fruit. Faith is fruit. Well, how then can we bear more fruit? How can we increase in being like him, those who are taught? How do our ears remain open and our hearts committed to serving the Lord? Well, the answer lies in abiding in Christ. And how do we abide in him? Well, first of all, we approach God in humility. We cannot accomplish anything ourselves. And that's why we see in our text the Lord, God has given me the tongue of a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. The Lord God helps me. The message is very clear. It is the Lord God who is going to help you. That is how Jesus accomplished his task, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And in his humanity, he needed that in order to accomplish his task. If only we would approach our discipleship that way, congregation. I cannot, but I need. We have to come 
to the Lord in desperation, in our weakness, in our need. For in our humanity, we are not able to produce fruit of ourselves. But in Christ, we can. So we have to give our lives over to him. Jesus said in that same chapter, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so so we come to that big question in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? That's the big question. Do you fear the Lord? And do you obey the voice of his servant? Do you listen to him? Is your ear open to his word? Are you committed to being his disciple with an unwavering commitment? And do you realize that the answers to these questions are a matter of life and death? You could try and make your own light in the darkness of this world. Right? There's a serious warning in verse 11. Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. Walk by the light of your fire then. It says if it's an ironic statement. If, well, if that's what you want to do, then go ahead. Walk by the light of your fire, by the torches that you have kindled. Then this is what's going to happen. This is what you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You will be burned by your own fire. If you try to live without God's help, if you try to make your own way, if you try to achieve a measure of godliness by relying on your own standards, then God says to you, you will experience how useless your own efforts are. It is a serious warning, congregation, one that we all need to pay heed to. Think of what the Lord Jesus says to the seven churches in Asia, as recorded by the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. After each church is addressed, we hear this repeated refrain, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And each church is warned what will happen if they do not listen. So do you fear the Lord God? Do you listen to his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to put aside your earthly desires for the sake of being a disciple of Jesus? Scripture says if you are in Christ, then seek the things that are above. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. So examine your hearts. Consider where your affections lie. What are the things that get you really excited? Are you more excited about Christmas than about Christ? Do you get more excited about going on vacation than you do about going to church? And what are you most concerned about? Are you more concerned about your own reputation than God's name? And what do you pray for? Are your prayers all about yourself, primarily focused on yourself or on the Lord's name, the Lord's will, and the Lord's kingdom? Think of what Jesus prayed for in John 17, the so-called high priestly prayer. His entire prayer was focused on the glory of God. He prayed that the Father might honor him for his work, bring him back to the glory he had before he came to earth. He also prayed that we would Be blessed by his reward so that we would know the Father, that one day we would behold the glory of God forever. So his prayer really showed what was on his heart. It was the glory of God. 
Jesus' prayer tells us a lot about him. And our prayers tell a lot about ourselves, about what we love, about what we want the most, about what our goals are. And the things that we do also show what we love, what we really want, what our affections are and our desires are. It shows up in what we do and the decisions we make. And so it's a good thing to take a step back once in a while and to check what's in your own heart. Do you cultivate the things that belong to God and the kingdom of God? Jesus was the perfect disciple. He lived for the glory of God, and in him, God's glory was revealed. As we are in Christ and as we follow him, our lives too are lived for the glory of God. So then may it be our heart's desire to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus for God's glory. Amen.